The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. I'm Brett Rutherford in for William Haynes on this Monday evening. If you miss a second of the show, you can catch it as a podcast. Just search Tomahawk Talk wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee. We are streaming live around the world at wvfs.fsu.edu. We've got a lot of Florida State news. Florida State softball was eliminated from the Tallahassee Regional last weekend. And now some rumors swirling about head coach Lonnie Alameda. Florida State baseball was in Charlotte last week for the ACC tournament, and they have been uh, in, they've been selected to the NCAA tournament. They'll be heading to Auburn, Alabama this weekend for the Auburn Regional, taking on UCLA in their first game on Friday. Uh, but first, introducing my panel to former Tomahawk Talk hosts. To my left in the co-host chair, we've got Arya Masudi. Arya, what's going on, man? Brett, what's up, brother? It's good to be back, man. You are the voice of Florida State women's basketball. You also do some Florida State baseball. Uh, we've been soccer, softball, the host of the Sunday Gold podcast, you and Brett Nevitt from Knowles 24-7. That's Let's a go. weekly traditional listen for me. Uh, catches me up on everything Florida State baseball, so. It's all right. <laughs> it's a pretty good show. <laughs> Ryan wants to be on. I think that's, that's where we're at. It's all right. You didn't even introduce him. Yeah, there we go. We're already there talking we go. about Let's... it. Yeah, sorry. And back in studio again to my right is Ryan Kelly, the sports director over at WCTV and former Tomahawk Talk host. Ryan, what's going on? It's good, Brad. I'm, I'm good. Happy. Well, I guess it's hard to say happy Memorial Day, but of course, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, lots to talk about. You mentioned it right off the setup. There is a whole lot going on. Who says that? Late May is the slow time for college athletics. We still got the diving stuff to get through, and it's uh, pretty intriguing, to be sure. It definitely is, and I think we just got to jump right in. Um, Florida State softball eliminated from postseason play last weekend. Mississippi State comes into town and wins the Tallahassee Regional. They were eliminated in the Super Regional, so they're not headed to uh, the Women's College World Series. But let's focus on Florida State softball. I want to get to the, the performance in that regional in just a second, but most recent news... Uh, Chris Nee from Knowles 24-7 reporting that Florida State head coach Lonnie Alameda has been offered a job by Texas A&M. Um, a significant pay increase is what he's reporting. And that's really all there is to know. We, we did see that Florida State softball assistant Travis Wilson has posted on Twitter a picture of Coach Alameda, Alameda rather, with uh, the caption loyal. And that's really all we know to this point. But... First off, I got to ask you guys, what what would that mean for Florida State softball if Lonnie Alameda is no longer the head coach? Yeah, man, that would be, I mean, that would be jarring, right? That's like Krikorian leaving earlier this year, and uh, I mean, it's it's she's become one of the faces of athletics at Florida State. And you mentioned Chris Nee in his report. I think I just saw maybe like half an hour ago he updated it and said he's led to believe that Lonnie is staying and that she actually got her contract reworked. That's what it was saying on the board. So um, that would parlay with what Travis Wilson posted on Twitter. And I think Devin Flaherty also has posted on Twitter recently about you know the support and, and saying it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to represent Florida State. So that could be some good news for Seminole fans. But yeah, to answer your question, um, we live in a day and age, right, where money talks and, and I don't want to say loyalty no longer plays the, the utmost of importance in, in collegiate athletics, but we've seen the... The landscape shift not just for players but for coaches and um you would you would understand if a coach decided to listen to offers because at the end of the day you do what's best for yourself and your family but yeah man that would have been 
That'd have been crazy. I mean, you're talking about the face of FSU softball, as good as Joanne Graff was, yeah. the legend. But Lonnie Alameda has taken it to another level. And if she were to leave, and Chris Nee is reporting, yeah, that she will be remaining at FSU. Nothing official, nothing announced, no contract extension announced. She was signed to an extension last year. Uh, but you know, that would come right on the heels of Sue Semrall retiring, uh, Mark Corian leaving. It would not have been like we, we always talk about Florida State and the uh, the consistency that you know their, their head coaches are not here for short stays. They're usually here for quite a long time. And this is a destination early. job. It definitely is. But Texas A&M, like Arya said, money talks. We've seen them coach one Florida State coach before, and I think that they've got the, the checkbook to do it again. It looks like, though, she will be staying, and these worries are short-lived. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, Texas A&M has once again tried to buy itself out of a problem. They're the one inferior program in the SEC. They can't seem to get it done. They can't seem to make the postseason. So they're going to try to buy the best head coach available. That's what you do when you have money. I don't begrudge them one bit, but overall, I mean... Coach leaving would be just such a blow to this fan base. It would be honestly a PR blow to Mike Alford. And, uh, you know, I don't think Mike Alford's done a bad job. I think he's done a pretty good job. Um, but all the the Krikorian stuff came out of nowhere. And then we later find out that there's a disagreement between those two guys. Whether that's fair or not, he's going to wear that from a portion of the fan base. And then it, you turn around and lose Coach, people start raising the eyebrow. Again, I don't think that's fair. But PR is PR. He knows that. That building knows that. Uh, and, you know, to be able to rework that contract, rework that deal and say, hey, stick around, or at least that's what it looks like is going on right now. Again, this is all kind of hush-hush rumor and innuendo at the moment. But if that's what's happening, that, that's a big, big deal for the new front office at Florida State to be able to hold her down. Make sure, hey, this is a commitment to us. This is something we care about. Let's get it done. Are you saying that I shouldn't treat Karen Key Largo's tweets as gospel? Well, you should never, ever do that. That's Karen Kilago. That is a name I have not heard in a very, very long time. I had neither, but I, I had seen a couple tweets, and I, and I just Twitter searched uh, Lonnie Alameda, and, and that was the first one that came up, and I was like, oh, this has just got to be all nonsense then. But then there was some reporting by Chris. I've, I've got to say, if, if, the, if you're Texas A&M and the two coaches you poach from Florida State are Jimbo Fisher and Lonnie Almeida. You could not have poached two entirely more different human beings on the face of this earth. But, you know, I, I think Coach is staying. I, I tend to think not just the money in that last contract, which obviously is probably going to get re reworked into a nice pay bump if she's sticking around, but the length of that contract, the fact that it was a seven-year deal, it was a long-term commitment to Lonnie's vision and Lonnie's future of the program. You know, I, I think... Loyalty was shown to her first. She's sewing it back, and on top of that, she's probably going to get a nice little bump of pay after the best regular season in Seminole history, despite what happened with the regional. And let's talk about that that regional. Do we have to? I think we will. Yeah, it's been a week. <laughs> Are you removed. sure? Brett's like, I got to fill time till late. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, great regular season, and I don't want to yeah. take anything away from from the wins they racked up throughout the year against some of the. The, the best competition this country has to offer. Uh, but then you get to the regional, everything looks like it's going great. You get to the championship round, you're facing Mississippi State. All you got to do is win one of two games, but the Bulldogs get it done. They win both. They advance to the Super Regional. The bats disappeared for Florida State. There was some shaky pitching performances, some shaky defense, and ultimately an extremely disappointing end to what was an incredibly successful season up to that point. 
What were your guys' thoughts just as that season came to an abrupt end for Florida State softball? I think shock was was the word I kept going back to, and, and I ran into some people, you know, after the game, the, the second game where the season ended, and everybody was stunned. I think the tears were those of just sheer, uh, and, and, you know, I keep going back to the word shock, but, like, they, they didn't, it hadn't hit them yet that their season was over, their career was over. It hadn't hit Lonnie yet because they had had magic all season long. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think they they played with fire multiple times all year, but they had always had the answer. And you, what, what was it, the regular season record for wins in school history, I believe, um, or the best start in school history or something like that. And um, I think for all of us, it was surprising. I think Ryan will agree with me. It's because Florida State softball uh, is the program that you kind of expected consistency from, right? Like that's... We talk about the baseball program, and we will later on, but, like, we've expected volatile up-and-down seasons from baseball the last couple years. Softball, you never even thought about the potential of losing at home in a regional because they had never shown you that they were the type of team to kind of have an off weekend at a bad time. So it stunned me. I'm talking, like, floored. And it's not one of those sports where you get to the end of the weekend and you've just run out of pitching. Uh, no, you know, you're using the same two or three. <laughs> You've eternally pitchers. got pitching if you have two good pitchers. And it just didn't work out for Florida State this time. You know, you saw Sandra Cock in that first game against Mississippi State. She gives up two earned runs. She wasn't shelled, right, but only three strikeouts in four innings. Emma Wilson comes in, gives up a uh, three more, only two of them earned. Uh, and then you're with Danielle Watson in game two, and she struggles a little bit. Sandra Cock has to come out of the bullpen, and... At that point, Mississippi State, though, they had just kind of taken the wind out of Florida State's sails. And they win the regional, and fair play to them. You know, they're only 37 and 25. You look at that record compared to Florida State's 54 and we're six. Bottom nine. three in the SEC in just about every major statistical hitting or pitching category you'd want. And yeah. and I think that's what stings, is that it's not like, you know, one of the big chest thumpers of the Southeastern Conference came in here. Mississippi State came in here and then promptly got swept by Arizona on their home field this weekend in a Super Regional. And and I think that's what's killer here is that, you know, baseball and softball are both games of failure. And the margin for error is so razor thin. And like Aria said, the magic had come for them all year, even in games that they failed to win. I, I, I go back to game one against Virginia Tech. That's about the only time where the magic didn't happen for them. They weren't able to pull it off. And even then, they get an inside-the-park home run to extend the game. They miss the game winner in dead center field as a home run by about two feet. Uh, th- that's just how the season has gone for them. More often than not, the answer arrived. The player stepped up. The moment wasn't too big. And it seemed like every time Florida State got some sort of momentum, it was, hey, the runner left early. Hey, the video review has overturned this, even if it was not overturnable. We could talk about that seventh inning and that second game all day long. But, it, you know, Cat Sandercock has to leave a game. Poor Cat Sandercock has a loss all year and loses two games on the final day of the season. How brutal is that? I I think it's just one of those things that when the breaks don't go your way, at the end of the day, the end of that second game, you're just staring down the, oh, gosh, maybe this isn't going to happen. Well, maybe two outs in the seventh inning, I'm thinking, well, they're going to come back somehow. Maybe the answer is, but I'm saying more if you're in that warm-up circle, if you're in the batter's box. It's, It's in the back of your brain of, I've got to be the one or else this ain't going to happen. And this season is over. And, uh, you know, to be told, you know, whether you're as you can be as humble and as hungry as you want. 
you hear long enough that you're the best and you're the great. And I'm not insinuating that things went to their head. I don't think they did at all. But sooner or later, you start to just believe and know this is going to happen for us. Things are going to happen. Well, we're the magic team. Things, that, And then when it just doesn't happen, it's just, like, I think you mentioned it, it was just a shell shock. Yeah. Like, like there, there wasn't even a sense of, like, melancholy or sadness as people left Graf and as we went to that press conference outside of, of course, the players, the seniors who knew their careers were over. It was just still kind of a sense of, and you could, as Aria said, you could kind of feel it from coaches' remarks, just like, I just kind of can't believe this. I just kind of can't believe the hit never came. I just kind of can't believe that we didn't get out of that inning that we needed to get out of. I was going to say, like, they didn't seem to play with the sense of urgency that I think is required in those moments. And when you've won 20 straight regional games, I don't want, again, I don't want to say they took it for granted because I don't think they did, but I think as a fan base you can. Yeah, and I mean, I think it comes down to you've earned the right to not feel pressure hit you, right? And like you just said, with two outs... You were thinking, okay, she's just going to hit a home run. A little bit of blast, right? Right, and I I think we all thought the same thing. I think the players in the dugout thought the same thing. It was, hey, there's two strikes. I'm sure she'll get a base hit right here because they've never had a reason to believe mm-hmm. that anything else would happen. And, I, you know, on, on your worst day, you get beat. I would say they, they probably messed some things up there in the first game against Mississippi yep. State. You know, you threw Wilson when she's, she's been, she struggled really for you all year, and, and most performances she's come in, she struggled. And to me, that was a move made in the back of your mind, thinking, well, if we play them again, we'll have no problems. And that's not to I'd, say that that's, the wrong, that. that's not maybe the wrong decision, but it, it, it kind of like, it, it feels... smells of like, not arrogance, but like confidence, maybe overconfidence. That's well, the right word. I think they were overconfident. And, 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 it's, and it's somehow a little strange and a little counter to how Florida State usually does things, because they are usually so aggressive they do usually hey let's let's take this opportunity here let's you know let's smash this game wide open here that they're not ones to punt and yeah it kind of felt like it was punting and you know let's trust ourselves to regroup when it's still a two-run ball game I, I mean if you go to Watson there there's no telling what happens and you know the, the idea of going into the batter's box down two Versus down four to five, what ended up happening in the seventh are two completely, or excuse me, the six, because Florida State was the visiting team in that yeah. game, uh, which still makes no sense, NCAA. But what, what happened in the sixth versus what happened there, it's an entirely different mentality when you step into the batter's box knowing that one swing of the bat can change the game versus, hey, we've got a lot of work to do to make up ground. Yeah, it felt like the decision to go to Wilson was a decision made knowing that you had a second game it did. if you lost. And... That's not how you really ever want to see the game end. I'm not saying if you if you go to someone else that Florida State comes back and wins that game because Aspen Wesley from Mississippi State, I mean, she she was just locked in. Only three strikeouts, but generating a lot of soft contact. Only one walk in the game. Um, probably her best as, game pitch. As Meat would say, a lot of atom balls. Yeah. It's like to me, it's like you know you're like the the zookeeper in the zoo in the, in the tiger cage, and you're you're doing the. You're, you're doing the, the show for everybody, and you keep prodding the tiger because you've never been bit by the tiger, right? And everyone's like, oh, ah, and all of a sudden it bites your head off, and you're like, oh, that was a possibility. Wow. Well, I'm just, this was a steep but, analogy. Everybody, but everybody's like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> like, well, well, wow. I, well, I guess that, that is possible. And I think my broader point is here is that th- that performance, and I think we, you know, Florida State fans should all be incredibly proud of what this Florida State softball team oh, absolutely. has achieved in recent years and this season. But they are not, uh, you know, safe from all criticism, right? No. I think oftentimes 
with with women's sports specifically. I think I don't know if people are are afraid to criticize, uh, but then they they just avoid it altogether, and it, and it's almost a, a belittling way towards the women's sports, right? Like if we're going to to praise them for all of their successes, they should be criticized and, and treated as equal. And I'm not saying go as far as like attacking. Uh, baseball players on Twitter, like I've seen in Florida State baseball Twitter. No, that never happens. No, no, no. This fan base is always very logical and kind. It always Florida happens State in baseball. May, and as we turn the page to June, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. But I, I think Florida State fans, you watch how no, at Knowles fan eight nine four seven two six five. And, and a lot of scapegoats, right? <laughs> Ryan and I joked, by the way, just real quick, Brett, not to yeah. cut you off, no, but it was like softball losing. And giving baseball a whole week where everyone had to watch them only was like the worst. <laughs> yeah, the worst thing that ever could have happened to baseball. This, this is the week where everyone's watching Super Regionals and OKC. This is not the week. I was. I the was pressure wear, comes on FSU baseball. I was wearing a hazmat suit until Florida State put up that nine spot on Virginia, and I was like, "Oh, this could get nuclear real fast." But uh, yeah, yeah, that's that is the best thing that ever could have happened to them this week. Because God, could you imagine if they lost? Well, I mean, they lose that and Notre Dame. They're probably out of the tournament. We know now. Yeah. So, well, yeah, in, let's 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 Ooh, turn buddy. our attention to Florida State baseball. Let's heading, do that. I've got some thoughts. Heading to Auburn. And yeah, we this, have to. This has been, um, I, I don't know. I guess it's kind of par for the course for Florida State baseball. I don't think this was anything uh, in recent years, right, where you, there are uh, obvious flaws. I, Ryan and I talked about this the last time him and I were here. I think this is a better team than last year. I think this is a more complete team than last year. I don't know if it's a... a a good team, you know, if you look at Florida <laughs> State fair. standards. Yeah. Um, obviously, last four in, there were weekends where it just seemed like, I don't know, they gave up after the Friday game or even before that sometimes. Um, but they're in the tournament, right? They're in the dance, and they've got uh, Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard, who a month ago I'd say, well, I mean, you have those two guys, you can get to Omaha. But the way they've looked recently... Now I'm a little unsure. Should I be worried about Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard? I mean, I think I'm worried about all of them, uh, <laughs> truthfully. I mean, because Ryan and I were texting throughout the, the ACC tournament, and, and, you know, Ryan and I actually do live together, so um, roommates, and we, we talk often about FSU baseball, and, and Parker Messick was kind of the, your safe haven every Friday night. You thought going in, you're like, we're not losing Friday. Let's worry about Saturday and Sunday. And, and then even now, then, you go three and eight in ACC play when he's on the hill. And all of a sudden, now you start. He starts giving up runs, and maybe its scouting reports have changed, and people are familiar with his offerings. And after a while in the league, people know everything that you bring. Um, but they haven't been consistent, and that's the thing. On one weekend, they look like surefire Omaha contenders. The next weekend, they do look like one of the last four teams that should make the regionals, right? Um, and this team, it, they've got to decide, I think, this weekend in Auburn, Alabama, what is it that they stand for? It, do, they, do they have an identity? Do they play for each other? Do they play for the name in the front of their jerseys? Because there have been times, right, in Tallahassee especially, at Hauser, when you've got the fan base behind you and the energy's there and it's being brought, we've seen them play at a high level. And so I think part of me still in the back of my brain, Ryan, is like hopeful that that's the team that we see because you've, you, you have actually, with your own eyes, seen it happen a couple times this year. But, I mean, knowing the volatile nature of this team this year, I, I don't think we're expecting them to go into Auburn and, and win the regional. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think the thing with Florida State baseball is this. You mentioned it, identity. This is a program in the midst of an identity crisis. I mean, for 40 years under Mike Martin Sr., especially under the last 20, you knew exactly what you were getting. You were getting a 40-win club. 
You were getting a team that was going to stay competitive. You were getting a team that some years had great pitching, some years didn't, but was going to be patient. They were going to work walks. They were going to, you know, they were going to work counts. They were going to eat your bullpen alive. That, that's just how Florida State baseball has been played around here for a long time. But right now, if a random stranger who knew nothing about college baseball came up to me and said, what is the identity of Florida State baseball over the last three seasons? Uh, I would tell you the identity is that they don't have one. Uh, the, the identity was supposed to be, you know, a complete staff of arms. It hasn't been that. And I get that's not completely the program's fault. There's been a couple injuries that have gone up against him. But you mentioned it over the last month. Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard have kind of fallen off a cliff. You know, you, you still can't find the correct role for Carson Montgomery. You, you're still trying to figure out, is Ross Dunn a guy that's ever going to be mentally right when he starts on the hill for you? For your bats, you went from being the most patient team in America to a team that really it doesn't even feel like has a plate approach. I mean, you lead the country in strikeouts, and at one point you led the country in striking out batters on the pitching mound. Like, that's not fun baseball to watch when everybody's just having a seat after five pitches on both sides of the inning. So, you know, Florida State obviously has good pieces. When Bryce and Parker are pitching, they're fantastic. Jaime Ferrer has been a revelation to watch behind the plate this season, or at the plate this season. James Tibbs looks like a guy who's going to be a great player for Florida State in the future. There's these young pieces and these glimmers of hope, and then there's these, just these other pieces where, honestly, they've, they've whiffed, where, you know, I don't think Alex Terrell has been the guy that you've completely wanted him to. He, he hasn't been able to knock the strikeouts out. Don't get me wrong. When he hits the ball, when he makes solid contact, it's going very far. And that's not to say that, but th there are just certain pieces, you know, there's arguments to be made of, you know, are you starting the right guy have a catcher? I mean, uh, there, there's arguments to be made about what's going on with the infield. And I, I get, again, injuries have been a big part of that. The absence of Jackson Green has been a big part of that. But it's, it just feels like there are no definitive answers. And when we're sitting here the week of the NCAA tournament, that's what makes that tough. The fact that it's just, well, what is the pitching staff if Hubbard gets chased early? What is the bullpen? Who is the closer that you're going to go to? Who is the long reliever you're going to go to? Who's the pinch hitter that you're going to go to off the bench when you absolutely need something? Who's the guy who in that lineup, if you're down to three outs, you can count on starting a rally? You, you can't answer any of those questions consistently. And I think that is what has made so many people on Twitter. And, you know, uh, one more kind of ramble and I'll be done because I know I've been talking for a while now. But, you know, it just seems like there's no nuance to be had with Florida State baseball when people discuss it. There's the camp that from the moment Mike Martin Jr. was hired, it was, this is a travesty and a disgrace. And it's just, yeah, he was only the best offensive assistant coach in college baseball for 20 years. Yeah, that guy didn't deserve a shot. And then there's the folks who think that because it's tradition and because it's establishment, nothing is wrong with the program and can never be wrong with the program and criticized. And, of course, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And it just feels like until we talk about this program honestly with, listen, check your biases against the door either way, it just feels like this is the perfect team for the way that the fan base talks about this program because it's one thing or the other. It can never be both. I think Brett said something earlier and he said, I think this team is better than the one last year. And then Ryan, you made some good points, which I agree on. And, and they'll kind of um, tag team on each other. Last year's team had an identity, right? Like you knew Long they ball. were going to strike out a bunch, but you, you counted on two home runs at least a game. 
and they had a dude, right? They had a Matt Nelson where you, you could count on, all right, the big hit's coming from Nelly right now. This team doesn't really have in its lineup a dude. And it's reliant on four to five guys to string hits together. And for whatever reason, Meat hasn't been able to construct a lineup on a consistent daily basis that complements each other. And, you know, in my opinion, Brad, it's because these guys, a lot of these players handcuff each other and handcuff uh, the team. Whether, let's put it this way, one guy can hit, but he can't really catch. One guy can catch pretty well, can't really hit. You got one guy who can, who has good plate discipline, but he's got a shoulder injury, so he can't really play the field. So then you put the guy who's in the field who can't throw a ball to first base uh, accurately or confidently, so then he's got a DH. But then what do you do with Tyler Martin? And then it's like, Meats had to figure things out, and then it's, oh, Jaime Ferrer's a catcher, but he hasn't been very good at catcher. We need to move him to the right. We need to move him but to the right field. Probably yeah, it best feels... right now. Correct, <laughs> and, but he's your best hitter, most pure hitter. Then you're in center field, and you're like, well... Reese Albert's probably your most natural center. What, maybe he's 28 years old yeah, now. Yeah, he's 20. He's 24. <laughs> but but Reese Albert's struggling to hit the baseball against lefties. Oh, Logan Lacy's your most athletic player, but you have to have him at third because he's probably your best glove at third base. Oh, Jackson Green, by the way, is your most experienced second baseman, but he struggled. It's just it's and wasn't so, even on the roster. In fall. And, if, and to me, it's just like you have so many guys handcuffing decisions that want to be made, and I think that's something me and Brett Nevitt have talked about a lot on our Sunday Golds podcast. Is this team has never really been able to form the identity and play off of each other and get into a groove. And I think a lot of it's, you got a lot of people, well, Trayton and Rank, right? Your most athletic player probably he can't find a lineup, yeah. a spot in the lineup. Terrell is your most powerful hitter, but he's not been great with contact and you want to find someone else at first base. It's just like a revolving door. And it really has been, and it's been a merry-go-round of trying to figure out the right moves. And some of that's on meat, isn't it? Like, you have to, at the end of the day, it's on the head coach to figure it out. To figure it out, yeah. But I think, you know, do we still know what Tyler Martin's injury status is? It's like one weekend, he's back, he's playing, and then, oh, he's going to miss a week and a half with the with an injury. Yeah, and shoulder flares up or foot flares up. He's got the boot on, and, yeah, and who yeah. knows? And, yeah, I think Florida State's their lineup's probably at its best when he is in the leadoff spot. Um, I think he is an, an incredible hitter and has been since his freshman season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, all the pieces are there, right? I mean, you look at how they've upgraded from last year. Starting pitching is better, right, with Messick and Hubbard at the front, we think. Yeah, they're it's older. supposed to be. Jordan Carrion, probably better than Andrew DeSantis. I, <laughs> Definitely. I, I, yeah. I, would, I, would, I would concur with that very Solidified. strongly. And, I mean, Brett Roberts was a great add at the plate, especially. He's got, I think he's hitting, like, 370 over the yeah. last, like, six yeah, weeks. Yeah, he's, he's turned around. I was, I was really worried about that roster move to start. And now, yeah, he's, he's really seemed to find it. But I don't really want to see Isaiah Perry in a lineup in the regional. Yeah, there's a lot, there's there's a certain. I mean, he he's he's he causes problems on the base paths, right? I, I think I completely agree. But with he that. causes problems for you too when he gets picked off once every four times right. he's there. He's not the best. He causes chaos and havoc when he puts the ball in play. But in center field, he's not very confident. It's just, man, it's it's just a revolving door, and it's just like I said, a merry-go-round. And but the thing is, you also need somebody to juxtapose when you're going righty 100%. versus lefty with Reese Albert. Because it's it's this strange, you know, you mentioned it. Some guys can do this, some guys... It's this island of misfit toys, it feels like, yeah, at times. Yeah, it's it It's this idea of, you know, well, well, this guy looks like a cow and he barks like a chicken. Like, it's... it's that makes sense somehow, and we could find a way for to make that work some way, but none of it really, truly looks traditional. And I think that's the thing. When it's Florida State baseball you're talking about, you maybe want to see a more traditional approach when it comes to the best players in your lineup. But I think you're starting to see that with some of the recruiting that's coming in. I just think when 
this staff has tried to flip this roster from the previous regime. Not everything that they thought might be an immediate fix has been an immediate fix. Before we go to break, and we can wrap up this conversation after our break, but one question I want to ask you guys. All right, let's imagine a world in which Florida State drops Friday's game against UCLA oh. with Parker <laughs> Messick on the mound. Do you go to Bryce Hubbard or do you go to Carson Montgomery to start Saturday's game? Hubbard. It's Hubbard. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Hubbard. Hubbard, Hubbard. You could argue Hubbard's been better than Messick over the last three weeks. And this, the Miami series, neither the Miami and in the great. ACC tournament, I thought, but yeah, neither has, neither has been what you thought they were supposed to be coming in, which was, weren't some people saying that's the best one-two punch in the country? I was saying it. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, well, maybe, you so. and maybe it is helpful that you draw an opponent from the West Coast that has never seen them. not as much knowledge and not as much yeah. tape we'll and, and, you know, the coaches aren't talking like you know no one at ucla is a part of some acc coaches group chat or anything so you never know in, in ucla I'm, i've, I've kind of i haven't watched pac-12 baseball i'll be honest uh but just conference of champions their, sir yeah disrespectful looking at their lineup they've got one guy it's like not watching northwestern nine home runs they've got two guys above a 300 batting uh, three guys above a 300 batting average yep. uh, they don't look like a team that tears the cover off the baseball um, so maybe that is an opportunity for, for um, Messick. But I look at him, and it's like four strikeouts each in his last three starts when this is a guy you could count on for double digits and strikeouts every, every time week. he took yeah. the mound. Is there something, is there an underlying issue there? He's getting near that 100-inning mark. Maybe, maybe I don't know if he's... Is he wearing down, in your opinion? Is he, I, I haven't noticed anything with velocity-wise, I but I, I, I can't explain only four strikeouts in his last three starts, plus the home runs. I think UCLA is not going to be the best lineup in this regional. I think you're probably looking at uh, Florida State on, the, on on their best day, but Auburn's um, probably Auburn is is going to be yeah. the best lineup in this regional. So you hope to see them at some point this weekend, unless Southeastern Louisiana knocks them off. Um, but I, I'm just not as confident in the pitching staff, which is I thought would have been their ticket to Omaha. That, I, that's what I was going to say. I know we have to go to break here in a second, so I'll be very quick, but. We were talking about identities, and I can tell you from talking to the staff in preseason when we do, like, broadcast meetings and whatnot and what the identity was supposed to be, and that was having the arms that you could rely on. Like a traditional West Coast team, honestly. Like, if you think about what people think of the West Coast, it's, man, they got two or three starters that you look at and you go, we're going to have our work cut out for us. They got some bullpen arms, and then they're going to hit enough to be able to win games six to four, five to two. And the problem is the arms haven't been consistent for you. Not in the starting rotation and not surely not in the bullpen. The arms haven't done that. And even early on the season when they were consistent for you in the starting rotation, they weren't always getting that run support. So, and yeah. th listen, the absolute key to this weekend, and like I know we're up against it, but the absolute key to this weekend is if you get two great starts out of Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard, I think you're going to win this regional. Absolutely. Amen. Because because the thing is, to me, the linchpin isn't necessarily either of them. The linchpin is if you win both those games, hopefully they've gone deep. No matter who you start, whether it be Dunn or Montgomery on that Sunday tomorrow. or, or sc whoever it is, you need those two to have gone long enough in the days before to where you haven't burnt Wyatt Crowell yet. You oh, need him yeah, as a long that's arm been your out of the pen. That's what you need. Yeah. You need him to be the de facto, quote-unquote, starter almost coming out of the pen. I mean, you're a raised guy. You know all about openers. <laughs> um, you, you know, you, you need one of those guys to be an opener. And you know what? If, if one of them wants to go six innings, God bless them. But if they melt down after three, I need Wyatt ready to go in that game. And the only way you can do that is if both of those guys are doing their job on Friday and Saturday.
We'll finish up talking about Florida State baseball as well as talk about the Champions League final, which oh, was yeah. this weekend. On the other side of the break, you're listening to WVFS, the voice of Florida State. And we're back on Tomahawk Talk. We're talking Florida State baseball in the first half, and we'll get back to our conversation about Florida State baseball because I think we still have quite a few opinions to share uh, before the team heads out to Auburn for the regional this weekend. But first, I want to talk about the Champions League final this weekend in Paris, France. Real Madrid win it for like the record 14th time over Liverpool. And joining the show now is Jack Oliara, the Tomahawk Talk producer, uh, who's remotely calling in to talk about the Champions League final. Jack, what was your what was your initial reaction uh, when the final whistle blew in Paris? Uh, my initial reaction was heartache. Um, I am a Liverpool supporter, and it was really the game where if um, Liverpool had to, if it was what Liverpool wanted, it's it's how they would have drawn it up. 21 shots, nine on target. You think, all right, with nine shots on target, you're getting at least two or three back, but none. None go past. Real Madrid only have two shots and only one on target. And that one happens to be Vinny Jr. at the back post and poaching one goal for a 1-0 win. So pretty heartache, pretty much a lot of heartache and uh, some newfound respect for uh, Thibaut Courtois. Yeah, I mean, he was man of the match, best player on the pitch. Uh, Vinicius Jr., who was the goal scorer, probably the second best player on the pitch. Uh, but this was a season for Liverpool where, I don't know, a, a week and a half ago, there were you know, thoughts that they could pull off the quadruple, right? They won both domestic cups in England. They were in second place in the league and heading into the Champions League final. Uh, they walk away with just those two domestic cups. They, they finished second both in the, the Premier League and in the Champions League. Um, I guess you can kind of give a, you know, your perspective as a Liverpool supporter. Is this season... Um, given what they've accomplished in previous years, they, we've seen them win the Premier League, we've seen them win the Champions League recently. Is this season still a success in your mind? I think it is, and the progress that they're um, heading towards to have to be in the uh, to have the opportunity to do the quadruple, which has never been done, is you know quite a feat in itself. Nothing that will probably be remembered. Going away with just two cups, you would think, all right, that's a great season, but it's probably the lesser two that you would have asked for. Uh, the FA Cup and the uh, ESL Cup, uh, both cups that really, um, if the managers can make it work, they can make it work. But everybody has their eyes on Premier League. And if you're in the Champions League, it's the teams they're going to try to go after. I think it's just they came up slightly short in each, so I can't be too disappointed. Um, it could have also helped if they maybe didn't play so many games in the 50s and 60s of just the amount of just tiredness has probably caught up to them. So I can't be too disappointed in what they have accomplished this season. It's actually quite a feat. And it won't be remembered. Uh, they don't really get the accolades for what they maybe fought for. But it's definitely something that will, uh, you know, be in their be in their thoughts and that he'll have to uh, go to fight after next year. Yeah, and on the flip side, Real Madrid, who are kind of in the middle of like a, a, a I would call it a rebuild. They didn't have too much time off, but they win La Liga this year. They, they pull off a Champions League win, and this is a team that I don't think many people expected to get this far in the tournament and definitely not win it. Uh, but they pull it off, and even though they were maybe outplayed on the field for 90 minutes on Saturday, they got the goal, and their goalkeeper was great. And I hate saying in sports that a goalie in hockey or in soccer steals a game, right? They're part of the team. They had a great performance, and that's ultimately the reason why, why Real Madrid won. Uh, I mean, is this like this has got to be the best kickstart for them in the middle of this rebuild to, you know, get back to European dominance? This is a team that we saw just a few years ago win three straight Champions League titles. Only a club like Real Madrid could have a rebuild year 
and uh, you know come out winning their domestic uh, title and a Champions League. I wish I wish my club would do that, <laughs> but um, yeah, they earned their destiny cuarto. Uh, it's just it's a huge accomplishment, and it's a testament to what that club is. They are European serial, like just they're giants, and they just have no. I, I could say this about FSC softball before the, uh, I guess, the collapse they had in the regionals, but they're just bad losers. They they fight no matter what. Probably each of those three games that led up to the final, uh, you could, probably could have counted them out, um, whether by the first end of the first leg or by the 90th minute mark, but they fought back in each of them. One raise of Carlo Ancelotti's eyebrow and you get seven or nine goals in stoppage time, really. Yeah, I mean, um, you, you go back to the quarterfinal, right? Second leg of the quarterfinal against Chelsea. They were up 3-1 after the first leg. They went to London and, and beat Chelsea 3-1. Then Chelsea go up 3-0 to take the lead on aggregate in the second leg of that quarterfinal. Real Madrid, though, pulls two goals out of the hat, and all of a sudden they're through to the semi. So this is a team, like you said, bad losers. They just uh, they, they just don't know how to, how to be eliminated, and they're the best club ever at, in this tournament. So to see them win, I guess, isn't a surprise. But if you look, you know, take a step back and look at how the season's gone for, for both clubs, you'd expect Liverpool maybe one of the, maybe the best, if we're just talking about who is the best team in Europe, it's got to be between them and Manchester City. You might give the edge to City. They were eliminated. Um, but Liverpool, I think I think it's a disappointment because you, you knew you were the better team and you were the better team on the day for the most part. So a, a, a bit of a disappointment there. But I thought... Um, ultimately, it was it was a good match. You know, it, didn't, it wasn't full of goals. Um, these finals, you know, they typically aren't. Last year was a one nil final, Chelsea beating Manchester City, um, one nil. But I, I I enjoyed watching the match, and I think uh, Liverpool, even with Sadio Mane allegedly you know departing the club, looking for a new team, uh, this is a team that that can get back to the Champions League final easily next season. It is, especially when you got guys like Luis Diaz who came in in the middle of the season and now already look like not a potential placement to Sadio, but it looks like somebody who could fill in any attack in terms of goals. Um, and just another word about um, just the Real Madrid team. If Kareem Benzema doesn't win uh, Ballon d'Or, if he put that player, um, that's just a straight-up robbery because he's probably the best player of, of the Champions League in the Liga by probably a good mile. Like, there's just no one... You can count on more in a bigger situation. No, he didn't score in the Champions League final, but he had some clutch goals throughout uh, the Champions League um, uh, quarter and semifinals to, to get them there in the first place. And uh, probably one of the most dangerous men going into the World Cup, which I think is important given that France has to break this um, this World Cup champions uh, curse in Qatar later. And, and you look at that France team, like Benzema's had trouble breaking into that team. Didier Deschamps, the manager for France, um, they don't really get along. Olivier Giroud was France's striker in the last World Cup, and he was great. Didn't score any goals, but was great in hold-up play and helped lead them to that World Cup. But Benzema, I mean, he, ha he has to be the man to play in the middle alongside um, Mbappe and some of the other really, really talented players. Mm -hmm. Probably... Um Again, the most dangerous, the most dangerous man in the world right now, and it's quite amazing to see him come out of the Ronaldo, uh, the shadow of Ronaldo, who was there for you know years and like the man for world, world soccer and just Real Madrid in general. So it's really nice to see um, you know the Frenchman come out and uh, put on such a performance throughout the season, and uh, really could be the guy going forward. Could elevate his game if he elevates his game any further. Um, you're looking at by far the best player in the world. Yeah, man, Jack, and I feel bad for Liverpool fans because it's, it was a brutal, brutal week, uh, no doubt. Uh, you have a chance for four trophies, and, you know, in the end you only get two of them. But 
Uh, sometimes soccer is brutal, right? And, and I played growing up and, and played in high school and had college scholarship offers and, and things like that. And on the day, I think Real Madrid understood who they were. And it was mm -hmm. a team that wasn't going to possess. They weren't going to try and dictate tempo. But you don't, you know, possession is overrated. Our coach used to always tell us that. You don't always need it if you have the personnel. Um, and I think Madrid used that to their advantage multiple times. And it's funny, the, the line that you walk, right? Because Man City easily had them beat. And all yeah. of a sudden, you have a moment of magic. And sometimes in sports you're just meant to be like it's just meant for your team to win it all and i'm not even sure real madrid in the premier league would have finished top three or top four like that like they the, the la liga was not that good this season like it, it wasn't very competitive uh, and madrid's a quality side but they were not built i don't think for a you know a 40 game a 40 match season yeah. whereas i thought for a tournament a specific tournament they got that right every single week they understood what the plan was they understood their matchups their scouting reports and they played to their strengths and in the end they finished their chances like that's that's mm -hmm. that's the difference is how many chances can you put in the back of the net liverpool couldn't do it in the final and they had definitely had the most the better chances and courtois yeah he had a heroic save there at the end especially um but Sometimes you're just better on the day, and Madrid was, and that's just credit to them. And Liverpool played three cup finals this season, didn't score a goal in any of them. They oh. won the, both the League Cup and the FA Cup on penalties. They were scoreless draws with Chelsea. Um, so this is an issue for Liverpool that's been kind of developing throughout the season. And, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold kind of falls asleep on the back post. Vinicius Jr. tucks in. I don't know what he was scores doing. Scores the goal. And, and, and that's how thin the margins are in these cup finals. And that's why I think you can kind of look at league performance and determine, okay, who, who are the, really the best teams? And then you just hope that everything comes together like it did for, I don't know, a, a, a Chelsea team last year when they won the Champions League. They weren't the, the best team in Europe. But they were the best in the Champions League. It's they a tournament. Those performances it's together. a tournament. It's like the NCAA tournament sometimes yeah. for March Madness. Like no one's asking you to be the best team every single game. They just need to have a run. North yeah. Carolina had a deep run, and uh, obviously, you know, you've seen Cinderellas. But uh, good, good for Real Madrid. I'm sorry for Liverpool, but Jack, man, you guys will be back next year. You'll be right in the thick of it. Yep, right. It's the, probably the best team that could do it, and uh, yeah, just hoping for at least half of what um, half the effort, and you know, hopefully they can uh, capitalize on the accolades next year. Well, Jack, thank you for coming on. I think if we continue this soccer conversation any longer, Ryan's going to fall asleep in the seat to the next uh, next to me, and uh, the normal host William Haynes, who's probably <laughs> listening, is probably going crazy that we've talked soccer for about ten minutes. Ryan already. can talk Sounders. I promise you, if you start talking MLS, yeah, the Ryan... Seattle Sounders are going to the Club World Cup. That's that's all. <laughs> that's all I can say. All right. Well, Jack, once again, thank you for coming on tonight and uh, talking soccer. All right. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. All right. Going back, I guess we've got some more thoughts. Florida State Baseball. On the Sounders, talk. yes, I absolutely do. And you know what? The MLS season's not going great. Hey, they beat but, Charlotte but, but, last but night, we, right? But we won our federation, and that's that's what matters, you know? We we, we, we did with things. With, all right. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm done. You're totally getting Also, Man hang City. up the phone before we get the dial tone. <laughs> you're, you're totally going to get Man City, though, in the club World Cup. We're gonna win. No, you're not. We're gonna win. Yeah, come on. Seven, come on. seven, nothing. Come on. So Clint Dempsey never played for Man City. <laughs> Florida State baseball. Let's let's realistically take a look at this regional. The three other teams there. What are the chances that Florida State? It looks like it'll probably either be, I don't know, Corvallis or or Nashville for a super regional. What are the chances that Florida State gets there? I'll let Ryan go first since he didn't get a chance to jump in on the soccer. Twenty percent. Uh, I'll, 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 just, I'll just flat put it at about 20% because, you know, the amount of things that have to go right and have to go right in every single game, because that's the thing. Florida State has proven that they can look like, you know, the 27 Yankees in one game. It's a problem of doing it three games in a row. This is a team that 
got, what, two sweeps all season, I want to say? And that's essentially what you're asking, because I think the only way that Florida State can win this regional is if they win it in three. Uh, they can't come out of the loser's bracket. I don't think they have the depth of arms to get it done. They need those two starting pitchers to take care of it. They need probably Crowell or a miracle from Dunner Montgomery to take you the rest of the way in game three. That's where I just, I can't wrap my head around Florida State getting out of this regional, is I just can't get my head around them. The bats being present and the pitching being strong for three straight games because I haven't seen it all year, save for Louisville. Do you want a slightly more optimistic take? I'd love one. Okay. Uh, I would put their percentages probably at least double that. I would say like 40%. That's not a, you know, I'm not going to give them, I'm not going to say they're the favorites. Um, I personally think UCLA, if they're fully healthy this week going into it, uh, I like UCLA quite a bit. Um, But here's why I do think FSU has a really good shot. They do still, in my opinion, have the best collection of arms in the regional. I think... Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard can remind you easily uh, in a performance this weekend why they're both going to probably be taken top 75 in the MLB draft this year. Both probably will be taken before the third round. Um, That's premier talent, right? Like, you have those two horses. Uh, I I do think the bullpen is still for for Florida State the best bullpen in the regional. And I think the bats started to find something there in the ACC tournament, especially against Virginia. They played really well. And then against Notre Dame, People forget that, like, Brock Mathis missed the game-tying grand slam by about two feet mm-hmm. off the wall. Tyler Martin missed walking them off, yeah. flying out to the wall. I kind of I like the at-bats that they put together out in Charlotte. That's if, one of the best baseball they've played all year. It is. And if, if, they can, if they can parlay that, right, and if they can build off that into this regional, I do think it has the, the feel of you don't have to travel far from home. You should see plenty of garnet and gold in the crowd. Um, a lot of FSU's players are from the area, Alabama or Georgia, but, and they're, they know a lot of the players. But so the it's, counterpoint is how many times this season have we said, if they can parlay the momentum of this weekend, 100%. if, if they could just 100%. keep going after TCU yeah. or keep going after well, you, Miami you or know keep my, going they, after no. the opening weekend against James Matt, and it just has never come to pass. Yeah, and, and uh, you know my, I picked UCLA, I think. Yeah, you, we talked about it. I think UCLA, if healthy, will win the regional. I, I just really like I agree with that. So would you say winner of Friday night's, Friday afternoon's game has was in the driver's seat. Right, and oh, I, think, yeah. I think we're not we're not disrespecting Auburn because they've had a, a great season in the SEC, who is but still a strong conference. There is something about programs, that especially when they're there. hosting, yeah. that haven't been there in a while. And... and they're not a juggernaut, right? In the SEC, they haven't been. A lot of people thought they were a two-seed, Brett. Uh, a lot of people disagreed with their inclusion. and so There's a lot of disagreement all right. around. Yeah. So I'll be honest, like the, the line that separates Auburn, Florida State, UCLA is very thin for all three, which I think is why a lot of people, and you'll see D1 Baseball and all the other sites, Baseball America, they'll probably put Auburn as one of the toughest regionals in, yeah. in this yeah. year's NCAA oh, tournament oh, oh. because of the balance and the premier programs that are across the board. But, yeah, uh, I think FSU is a shot. A friendly reminder that uh, Bowling Green – who almost canceled their program a couple years ago and needed uh, donations and money sent in from former players and alumni to keep the program going. Yeah, they're athletic directors on the selection committee for the NCAA baseball tournament, and there isn't a single one from the ACC. That's how this works. Right. Yay. Fun times. We should phone Will Zierzow to come back and pitch against Auburn. Go the distance? Yeah. Is... Is is Will Zierzow the most improbable hero in the history of Florida State baseball? It's He's up there. There was that one time Hunter Scantling threw that, like, eight-inning shutout against the Gators... Do you remember that in Tallahassee? It was like the most Yeah, improbable. but it's not a postseason game. You're right. You're right. And especially in a postseason where you lose the first game of the regional. And he had I... arm injuries the whole year only to get healthy. He comes in and throws like yeah, a, complete game, a complete game win for FSU. But, yeah, Brett, to answer your question, uh, I think Florida State has a chance. 
I mean, I do. I don't, I don't know if the bats will be consistent all week. You hope away from Tallahassee they don't commit three errors in a game because they've shown that they can do that and they miss cutoff throws and they make base running gaffes and uh, let, it could happen. Let, let me say this. If you told me three weeks ago Florida State is going to be in a regional where they're the three seed with UCLA and Auburn and you asked what the chances were of them winning that regional, I would have said about the chances of Florida State softball losing their regional. <laughs> so it can be done as proven. Yeah. So, yeah. W weirder things have happened. It's baseball. There's something to be said about a team that's been there under the lights before. I mean, this is a team that should have won the Oxford Regional last year yeah. uh, until Nander DeSantis threw that ball in the dugout. This but. feels very, I don't want to use the word vibes, but <laughs> this feels very reminiscent to the 2019. Uh, like, no, 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 don't, without, I'm not, no, don't I'm not, do it. Listen don't to what I'm saying. It. Listen to what no. I'm saying. Without eleven, the kills you said. without eleven being in his final year, right? It's the the Georgia team that's probably not a juggernaut, that is a, a beatable team. But Georgia could home. at least pitch. They could, but Auburn Auburn has that feel of a team that's probably not just a stronghold at home. That they're vulnerable. This is it's, it's the second smallest park in right. the SEC. And you've it's got not a, like you're walking right. into it. You've got a grand. Well, I know you got like a talented Florida State team that could walk in there and play a good weekend and, and get out of it. I, I don't think anything can be compared to the 2019 run. I that mean, I think magic. that turned some people into believers, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the things that happened that kind of fell into place. Uh, but, like you said, the talent is there. There's a recipe, right? You think, okay, Alex Terrell gets a hold of a, you know, a ball with three with two men on base. Yeah. Three-run bomb, that happens. You got Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard, if they can combine for, I don't know, let's say 13 innings, maybe 14 innings. I mean, those first two games, yeah, the recipe is there, but ultimately, I think when, when push comes to shove, this team is lacking in some key areas. Um, they put themselves in a tough position where they're going to have to, you know, beat UCLA Friday and then turn around and, we say Auburn, but we've seen crazier things happen, so maybe it's southeastern Louisiana on Saturday, uh, even if they win. So I, I just, I have, I have I'm going to go in with very low expectations. And if they uh -huh. surprise, if they surprise there me, there you go. I'll have a great weekend. And if they, yeah, because you're either right or pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and, 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 and I will say, if they, if they win Friday, Saturday, I might try to make the drive up to Auburn. We'll see. You'll we'll be a see. believer, huh? Yeah. So, but win on Friday, Parker Messick. I need to see seven strong, ten punchies, no walks. Oh, he's calling his numbers now. Wow. Then I mean, he's so, right. That's what you need. But I, I got to see how they play on Friday. Uh, heck, I might need eight. <laughs> they look they look great last week. I love even in the loss against Notre Dame, I was like, this looks like a good baseball team. But we've seen them do that against incredible teams, against Florida's, TCU's, Miami's. And then the next time they play, you're like, who is this team? And I I have a feeling that we could see bad Florida State this weekend. Uh, I don't know. I think Ryan, you said twenty percent, Aria, you said forty. I think I'm leaning towards the twenty percent with Ryan. I, I don't know. I, I just I need to see it to believe it, and I, I, I'm going with very low expectations. Your prediction narrative-wise, as, as we've said, it's impossible to be nuanced about Florida State baseball, especially on the internets. But if Florida State does not come out of this regional, does it, as a fan base as the whole, become a referendum on the program? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's people that are hoping we... I think, I think there are Florida State fans that are, like, rooting for Florida State to crash and burn out of this regional with the hope that there's going to be some sort of change, which I, I mean, I don't know. This is an insight. I'm just like speculating. I don't think that's on the horizon at all. 
Right. I think you could lose to UCLA 10 nothing and lose to Southeastern Louisiana on Saturday. and Like a heartbreak, like a heartbreak walk-off. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll see. But I think that that referendum has already begun. And I think that those fans that have that those thoughts, they are already locked into those thoughts no matter if Florida State goes to Omaha or not this year. They've got, I think, for him, for the heat to kind of come off, that's building they probably do need to make the super regional i think i agree with ryan i do think at minimum they need to be one of the final two teams standing or like last year you lost to southern miss in that third game and it was in a like, game you didn't look like you cared to be there correct and so that's going to be interesting right like they've got to at least be one of the final two teams standing in auburn's regional in my opinion but i mean do you, like that's not going to change the narrative i don't think this offseason no matter what happens and barring them making omaha no that but, but what i'm saying change. is if you lose a regional, I, I, I tend to think, yeah. But my thing is, the people who've already made up their mind have already made up their mind. Yeah. But if you don't make that regional final, if you don't play in a game seven, per se, do you get new dissenters out of this weekend? Probably. Especially that, with that's, that's more the question. Because there's always going to be the folks who, I mean, Florida State baseball could fire meat and hire Joe Girardi tomorrow, and there'd be a 20% of this fan base who's, oh, this is a terrible hire. Right. That's just how this works. It's, this, is, this, is year, this is year three, right? And one of them was a COVID year. I think that might have been his best team, though. Oh, exactly. Like the, one that, the one that didn't get a chance to finish the season, I think, was the best of the three that he's had. And, and so to be in this spot where they, they yes, there were, there were times where they struggled. You look at the injuries and some of the other things they dealt with, I, I like this coaching staff as a whole, even if I, you know, criticize decisions made by me. Uh, but I look at some of the talent that's getting brought in by, by Mike Metcalf as recruiting coordinator, and I want to see how this plays out. And I don't, I really don't foresee any any major changes being made if this is a disappointing weekend. The voices will definitely be there, but whether or not that is it, it forces Michael Alford to make it or anybody else to make a change, I, I don't see that happening. No, yeah, you're right. But and I, then do, I don't either. Yeah, I think I think Meat's going to be here next season, like after ninety nine percent. But maybe that agree seat is warm. Maybe that seat is warm right. come opening right. day twenty twenty three. And by the way, this weekend when we talked about the the toughness of the regional, uh, it probably is TV wise going to be one of the more attractive oh, yeah. regionals. I think FSU's already on ESPN two yep. on, on and Auburn's on ESPN plus. Right. So like that already tells you right there what they think of it. You've got the West Coast team, so they've got the rate that they've got the the demographic and the market out there that they want to hit. You've got an SEC team, so I imagine you're going to be on SEC Network at least once this weekend. Um, you've got the regional where all the eyes are on you. So I do think that heightens people's expectations when, when they just have their eyes on it. If Florida State gets to the Super Regional, who is one unsuspected player that, that came through and had a great weekend? Unsuspected. Obviously, Parker Messick, Bryce Hubbard, if they're great, they've got a, as good a chance as anybody. Right. But who's going to come through that maybe has struggled, maybe kind of flown under the radar this season that could have a chance to, to make a name for themselves in Auburn? Hear me out. Postseason hero, Logan Lacey. Uh, don't take my answer. Did I take your Don't I, take my I, answer. Okay, I'll switch. I'll switch. I had a second one. Are you oh, ready? Go ahead. Colton Vincent goes five for eight in this regional. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's, he's due. He's due to have it happen. Uh, uh, how about this? Brock Mathis in cleanup duty of Colton oh, Vincent. Oh, man. Inject or, that into my veins. Yeah. As, as a big masher and a big-time bat that Florida State can need. I'll give you another one. Alex Terrell runs into one or two. He does. His, his strikeout numbers stay poor, but at some point when you need him, a guy who hasn't scouted him as intensely as an ACC pitcher 
gives him a meatball, and he parks one over right field wall. I, I know you're looking at a guy with a 308 on base percentage with a ton <laughs> of strikeouts, but if, if I'm me, Alex yeah. Corral is in the middle, the, the meat of my order this weekend because you're going to need it. I think that's part of it. Like, yeah, if Alex Terrell runs into one or two, that gives you the shot, right? But if he's down there seventh or eighth, you're maybe taking a plate or two, plate appearance or two away from him. I mean, it's not like you're replacing him at the four spot with some other big masher, right? Like, this right. team doesn't have that many of those guys. I've, I move him up. I just, you know, let the let, let, it, let it play out. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm trying. Logan Lacey, I mean. Do, do we know if Jackson Green is going to be available this weekend? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Because if he is, that's another guy that I think is a sneaky candidate for yeah, that. Yeah, I, I do think the, the path for the lineup to be good is I do really like the, the first four guys that they're running out there. I think those guys are all starting to click. The Tyler Martin, Jordan Carrion, Ferrer, uh, Brett Roberts combo. I think those yeah. four guys. And then if you can get Tibbs in the lineup, too, with some of the pop that he has, you do have a formidable top five guys in the order that if they all play well and they click, could cause some damage. The correct answer is, of course, Tim Becker. Yeah, that, he's, that he's got to come all that will eternally be. He got a COVID year too, right? He, he well, well, here's the thing. Tim Becker was on club every year until his senior year. He's technically got three years of eligibility if he no, wants yeah. to come get a new degree. Can That's we get all him I'm enrolled saying. Enrolled in some summer classes, add yeah, him to the yeah, roster. Yeah. And yeah. it's a unique park out there, by the way, in Plains. But I know Fenway Park is is one that gets brought up because of the left field wall. But they have their own monster mm-hmm. out in left field yeah. um, in Plainsman Park in Auburn, and so. You might see some home runs over that thing. Well, that is going to do it. We didn't even get to talk about NBA or NHL, which is fine because there's so much Florida State news. Let's we go, Canes. All of that. Um, I'll, I'll say Carolina, uh, Gold, Gold State in five. Um, but that's going to do it for for this week's episode of Tomahawk Talk. Make sure to tune in next week. I believe it'll be William Haynes and the crew back um, with a with a pre-recorded episode. Um, but thank you to Ari Masudi and Ryan Kelly for hopping on. If you missed it, just a second of this, you can check it out as a podcast. Just search Tomahawk Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, yeah, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. You're listening to WVFS, the voice of Florida State.